0: Hello, Penn Medicine, and welcome to the Well-Focused Podcast. I'm Mitch Sherman, and today we have Corey Waltz, Director of Strength and Conditioning at the University of Pennsylvania. Corey, how are you doing today? Good, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate you being on. It definitely means a lot. Uh, So, Director of Strength and Conditioning at Penn, that's a pretty big title. What, uh, What kind of things are you doing over there?
1: Uh, that's certainly a loaded question
0: uh, given everything we've been going through the last two years
1: so in essence I, I oversee the performance programming for in theory all of the teams now there's a staff of six including myself so five other strength and conditioning coaches who work with the other 33 varsity teams here so it's about a thousand student athletes so we oversee all of the performance enhancement programming so whether that's weight training speed training, uh, flexibility, recovery. Uh, we collabor- collaborate highly with our uh, nutrition team, our physical therapy team, our athletic training team, obviously the head coaches and student athletes, and even recently a kind of data science uh, program uh, and team to to see this well-rounded, holistic enhancement of uh, the output. You know, how can we most prepare, best prepare our student athletes for their, their sport of choice.
0: Yeah, I really like that you uh, included all of the different departments that are working together because before I was in this role, I was at Temple University working with their men's basketball, as well as men and women's tennis in a graduate strength coach position. And we definitely appreciated, you know, input from the athletic trainers, nutritionists, head coaches, things like that. So it's definitely cool to understand that it is a very multifaceted approach. And you mentioned that there are six coaches and a lot of different teams you're working with. What teams do you work with in particular yourself?
1: Both lacrosse teams, field hockey, and both golf teams.
0: Okay. 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 Now, do you find that there's some similarities, some overlap between a lot of those or not so much? Or?
1: Oh, yeah. a little bit of everything. So I think the culture of each team kind of drives so much in terms of the personalities of the head coach, number one, the student athletes, mm-hmm. um, their history, what their specific goals are, are they an older team, a younger team, how, how much were they influenced by COVID, some students left, some students did not. Their recent success, you know, all of that influences kind of the team temperature. And so that's going to drive so much of kind of the the inner workings. But aside from that, you know, golf's very particular. You're you're stationary other than walking the course and the movement. But, you know, lacrosse and field hockey, those both being a field sport, they're a sprint, movement-based sport. So a lot of similarities in terms of how they are both trained.
0: Definitely. But – you know, something that you touched on earlier and that definitely comes into play with all of the sports you're working with is recovery. And that is what I'm really excited to have you on this podcast to talk about. It is a topic that I'm pretty passionate about. I did some research involving recovery in my master's program at Temple. Um, how do you personally define recovery and address it with your athletes? I would
1: define recovery as the ability to, to get the body and mind back to a state that it can perform at the highest level possible as soon as possible and that looks like a variety of different things you know you just break down each sport and when they compete versus when their next competition is it's a variety of time lengths you know some teams may be competing multiple times in one day so you have to think how can we recover in a matter of minutes or hours versus other sports that like football will play once a week and then you have the whole week to recover but even though you're competing in those different time lengths you know you're still training so those are still competition opportunities so even a football player is going to be competing within himself and the other teammates every 24 hours so how do you get the body and mind back to that state. Um, And then furthermore, as a student athlete, you have to factor in the academic load. How does one go from the stressors of physical training to the stressors of academic training and a midterm or test or whatnot, a paper? So it's multifaceted. It's working with different, uh, different systems within the body. In terms of the different hormonal systems, and you know the parasympathetic and the ser- sympathetic uh, systems to to know when you want to stress, to know when you don't want to stress, and and just fluctuate those, and utilizing different components: number one being sleep, number two being nutrition, number three being some some mindfulness activities, whether it's simple things like going for a walk to very dedicated things like meditation to to any anything for your body, like very active recovery components that the the athletic training world will get into, such as uh, hot and cold contrast baths or showers, uh, foam rolling, even different massage techniques. So as the world kind of progresses, you're you're just layering these different tools on top of one another, but you cannot do it at the expense of those first tools that I said, which is sleep, nutrition, hydration.
0: Yeah, I really like that you said those things first, uh, sort of shifting away from an athlete's perspective and into towards a general population's perspective. Maybe we're talking to some former athletes here, people reliving the glory days a little bit. Um, but same here. you talk about the life of a student, and they might have class, they might have homework, there might be different organizations they have meetings for. Yes, they're different things, but it's still a busy day. And those that you know we're speaking to on this podcast certainly have busy days. They might have children they're taking care of, have a 12-hour shift uh, as a nurse or a PA or some, something. Now, they can still sleep properly or find ways to incorporate better sleep habits. Uh, they can still focus on nutrition. And something that you touched on in terms of active recovery, that is something I want to dive a little bit deeper into, because I was of the mindset until, you know, a number of years ago, and there are people that I talk to that certainly have this mindset that a quote-unquote off day doesn't necessarily mean that you are doing nothing in between your workouts. Um, Can you elaborate on what you might encourage your athletes to do, or uh, those listening?
1: Yes, uh, I think the best advice I can provide is something that I actually utilized recently with our student-athletes, is is creating some sort of high-low model where you have very dedicated days to attack the body in terms of training, in terms of even scholastic work, thinking about it as this one day I'm going to buckle down and study or write this large section of my paper and then your body and mind will benefit drastically from maybe it's the next day maybe it's the next half a day however the model looks to have a dramatic shift in intensity so what it could look like is say you're a runner And every other day, you go for a long run, whether that's five-plus miles or or whatever your fitness level is. Well, the other days, in between, you simply do cross-training. Maybe you swim. Maybe you do the elliptical for 30 minutes or something that reduces the stress on your joints, reduces the the mental load on you. Um, and, And you can create that for whatever situation you're in but that kind of ebb and flow of stressors I think would be highly beneficial um, inner weaving consistent sleep consistent nutrition uh you know as a foundation for all that
0: I really like the scholastic e- example you used and it's kind of why there's breaks in school, why you have winter break, why you have summer break, why we have PTO as employees. If you are constantly having meetings back to back for days and weeks and months on end, eventually you just need a break. And your body is the same way. You know, however you want to take that break can influence your energy levels when you return. You know, maybe you do just need a day on the couch watching Netflix but sometimes, you know, you feel not so great after doing that and maybe you need another day or maybe you take a day to go for a hike and you feel very rejuvenated coming back to work, you know, however right. long your break is after and that. the beauty of
1: that is
0: I feel, and
1: i talking to other student athletes, it's very common to always want something you don't have. So if you're constantly stressed, you really look forward to not being stressed and vice versa too. So if you go on vacation, just think about all of those times you said at the end of your vacation, I'm ready to get back. I'm ready to get back into a routine. Mm -hmm. Or if you're laying on the couch, you know, there's probably a point where you're saying, okay, I'm ready to get outside and and do something. (laughs) And then then you really appreciate that. And you attack that next stressor with some vigor much more than you would otherwise.
0: Definitely. And you mentioned cross training and swimming or a You know, maybe a low-intensity low, in, uh, a low intensity bike ride or a walk. Why, why are these types of exercises considered good for recovery as compared to, hey, I'm going to go max out my bench press. I'm going to go do a high-intensity interval training class or something like that.
1: Uh, because when you stress your body, you need time for that body and mind to actually rejuvenate and build it back stronger. So... In terms of, let's take strength training as an example. So when you strength train, if you do it with progressive overload, you are creating small micro tears in the muscle. And the only way that that muscle will get stronger is if it has time to actually layer upon um, itself and build those micro tears, repair those micro tears. And it does this when it's sleeping, and it does this, you know, with time to recover. So if you train very intensely on Monday and then Tuesday, when it's recovering and theoretically gaining strength in that area, you're not allowing it. You're just further degenerating that muscle. So you don't, your body actually deteriorates as opposed to having time to repair and grow stronger. So it's, that analogy can extend to kind of anything else. Just having that ability to allow your body and mind to, to kind of capture what you've been training. And one other example comes to mind is if you're trying to think of something. Think how many times there's been something in your mind that's like on the tip of your tongue and you can't remember it. And then for whatever reason, you stop thinking about it. And then maybe when you're lying in bed or you even wake up from sleep, it just pops up. But that gap, that gap, allowed your body space that it needed. And then it's thinking about something else. And there's actually been science that has shown like your body needs that gap to come back stronger and
0: repair. Yeah, it needs to adapt. Um, I actually liken it to an example of charging your phone to only 60% overnight. And you're expecting 100% from your phone the next day. And all of a sudden, normally if you come home from work at 5.30 and you get to plug your phone back in, All of a sudden, your phone dies at lunchtime and you're wondering what happened. Um, Not necessarily that our listeners are going to die at lunchtime, but you get the point. Um, I do one-on-one virtual fitness consults uh, here for UPHS, and, you know, I hear things from people all the time. I'm doing X, Y, and Z through the week. Why am I not seeing the changes I want to see? And when I hear about what X, Y, and Z is, you know, maybe Monday is leg day. Tuesday is glute day, Wednesday is high intensity interval training day, which consists of a bunch of jump squats, lunges, you know, whatever circuits that they include in in that. And my response to them is, well, you're doing legs intensely three days in a row. And like you said, you're not allowing that time in between exercises to allow your body to recover. So how does one combat that?
1: I think it depends on the person. Um, So the person that we're talking about now that likes to have intense exercise every day, you have to find other outlets for that individual. So maybe that means you're going for more extended walks or you're playing a sport or you're you're doing something that stimulates you, but it's uh, not the same stimulus you had the previous day. So you still can get challenged like you want, but it's in a completely different way. So uh, on top of that, too, is the nutrition piece. What you don't want to do is you don't want to have a reduced intensity day, and that be, is your cheat day from a nutritional standpoint, and that happens every other day. So getting you on the habit of healthy natural food daily may be altering some caloric intake to coincide with your stress levels. So on the higher intensity days, you have uh, more calories that you're consuming, But the quality of the calories remains relatively consistent throughout.
0: People I do feel often neglect one or the other. They might eat perfectly, and maybe that there are issues with their exercise programming, or they have a perfect exercise routine and they're not being mindful of what they're putting in their body, as you alluded to. Another concept that I feel is tough to communicate to people, especially ones that are pushing themselves like that. I imagine it's hard to communicate this to some of the athletes you're working with, but sometimes less is more. I remember there was a walk-on basketball player that I was working with at Temple and he wanted to see how much he could bench press every single day. Um, My job was one, yeah I definitely wanted him to increase his bench press, I want him to be stronger, but two, I also at the same time had to tell him, hey you did this yesterday, we don't need to do this for a while because this is actually counterintuitive. How do you explain that to people?
1: Yeah, it's, I see that too. Um, and I'd probably have to ask that individual some questions, like, why is it the bench press? Like, what got you down this road where it's something that gives you some comfort, but at the same time gives you some stress because you're always thinking about it? Um, mm-hmm. Is this really the best measure of success for what your end goals are? Mm-hmm. Is your end goal to be the best basketball player you can be, or is it to be the best bench presser you can be? And, like, seeing how it could help, but it's not the the end-all and be-all. Um, but that time that you're dedicating to the bench press, like, what else could you be doing with that time to put you in a better position to get onto the court? Because um, I guess I'll throw that back to you. Was that somebody that played high number of minutes? No. Yeah, exactly. So rarely is it <laughs> – Rarely do you see, you know, the the highest performers really care so much about something that has very little transfer, uh, honestly. You know, I'm sure Steph Curry is not trying to do that same thing (laughs) uh, on his end. So um, it's, you know, it's consistency. It's it's, what's the effective minimal dose is is something that I like to say. I mean, talk student athletes, how many stretches do they have? And, like, it's countless. So, like. Stending your stressors out over a long period of time is probably the most beneficial thing.
0: For sure. And, you know, you've answered a lot of these questions very much in terms of a psychological aspect as well, which is something I definitely appreciate, which is something I think needs to be considered more in this field. Um, I don't necessarily think a lot of people think of mentality as one of the most important things with regards to exercise and recovery and things like that. But you're right, finding the nature of why. Find your why. You know, we're asking if this player wanted to get more minutes and that's why he wants to keep improving his bench press. You know, maybe somebody that we're talking to that is doing high-intensity interval training, you know, every day that I meet with on my virtual fitness consults here at Penn, maybe there's a body image issue. Maybe there's something else going wrong. Maybe there's some sort of insecurity underlying that they constantly feel like if they don't do X, Y, and Z, they're not going to feel great about themselves and obviously that is a completely different conversation for you know different types of professionals but you really need to find your why
1: yes and usually there's an underlying reason for some of these behaviors i think that's why relationships are so important if you're going to be somebody that's coaching or interacting with regularly with anybody you know getting them to trust you uh, and then Finding out
0: some of these underlying reasons uh, critical. Definitely. Now, Corey, as I wind down these podcasts, um, I always like to end them with a fun question, either pertaining to the topic or not pertaining to the topic. Yeah. Uh, this one is pertaining to the topic. Um, and I'm just going to ask you personally, what is your favorite exercise to do? Sprint. Sprint. Yes, okay. something something like, I'm not good go at, ahead.
1: number one, so I'm not fast. Um, <laughs> but, A, I think it's probably the most bang for your buck exercise. Getting the body to move at relatively high rate of speed can't replicate that in the weight room, uh, that speed of movement, that speed of muscular contraction and neurological interaction. Um, so I think it... it Kills a lot of birds with one stone in terms of your physiological output from the aerobic system to the anaerobic system to the muscular system. You see a lot of sprinters and their body types. Not all those sprinters are living in the weight room, but they're they're all they have a very impressive physique. Um, so if I could just do, if I had to do, choose one exercise to do for the rest, rest of my life, it would be that one. And, and I find enjoyment, too, from it because... You don't have to do a lot of it. I don't yeah. like to go for super long runs, um, so it's uh, from a time perspective it works wa- works well.
0: Yeah, I love that answer. I feel like a lot of the research that I you know consume, particularly in the last few months, has definitely supported that for sprinting. And you know I've had people ask me, how do I become more athletic? How do I become faster? How do I move better? And to be honest, you got to just do those things. If you want to run faster, it. you got to start running fast, and eventually those things will progress. So I yeah, definitely – Yeah,
1: as as people leave the athletic sector, that's certainly probably the number one thing they do uh, much less of, if at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't – I mean, I guess I get why. It's just hard. It's not common. It's – for a variety of reasons, people don't – maybe they don't have the space. It's, you know, it's just different. But you know, I don't see a reason why – any age shouldn't be running as fast as they can I'm on grass. You know, eventually you can do a barefoot. There's a lot of like good, uh, good benefits from it. Um, they, you know, you're out in nature, theoretically out in the field. So um, I, I think it's fun too. And that combined with just playing a sport and reacting and changing direction and that type of stuff,
0: um, highly recommend it. Yeah. I think you've inspired me to try to sprint because if we're being honest, I could not tell you the last time I yeah. sprinted at top speed. Um, it's something I, I have thought about and internalized. Um, I play basketball, I play pickup pretty regularly. Okay. but very rarely am I getting to my top sprint speed, you know right. I might accelerate fast and do these quick bursts, but rarely am I getting into enough space in for enough time that I am getting to my top speed.
1: Yeah, and I guess one last recommendation: if anybody's going to go out and try to sprint, progress up to that. Yes. Maybe start with you know build-ups up to like seventy percent of what you think is your best, and then like every day or every time you do it, add, add on a little bit of speed. Just crank that dial up, but not not your first time. Get your body used to that.
0: One hundred percent, great advice. And listen, I really appreciate the time. I know listeners will appreciate this, Corey Waltz. Thank you for being on the Well Focused podcast. Appreciate it, Mitch.